You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. On the fake. Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in it for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Also, if you want to text the show, text line has been lit up. I appreciate you guys taking the time to reach out. That phone number is area code 865-658-5824. Again, you can text that number, 865-658-5824. Give us a question, a comment for the show. It could be about anything Packers related, it could be past or you know history, it could be current Packers, whatever you want to talk about, um, and we'll see if we can work it into the show. Now, we're getting hammered with text, which is absolutely awesome. That's what we wanted. Again, I want to want to say over and over and over again, do not let this cut into the Packer net after dark time. Make sure you're calling that number. Make sure we're keeping that, that phone line lit up. I have stopped calling in the Packer net after dark because you guys have absolutely crushed calling in, and I don't want to take away from any of those calls. I couldn't tell you how many times I listened to an episode and been like, God, man, I want to call in and ask this, but I know the lines are lit up, and we want to make sure the new callers get in there. I know Ryan does, and uh, and also – uh, the listeners before any of the hosts, right? So that's why I've tried to stay away. But, guys, keep that lit up. Don't let this text uh, thing, you know, kind of cut into that. So if you've got time to call in the Packernet After Dark and with one of these questions, it's not going to hurt my feelings at all. Uh, give them a buzz first, and then on the go, shoot me a text. So, again, though, it's been great communicating with you guys. we got a couple texts we're going to answer today, and then we're also going to – got a, a lot of stuff to cover, really. I mean, you got Brian Gutekunst and, and some of the front office down there at the Combine right now. Larry McCarron and the guys, Wes Hockowitz, have done a great job giving you content coming out of there. So we're going to listen to them. We're going to um, really cover some free agent talk. We're going to cover uh, draft talk. We're going to cover Kenny Clark's uh, – the details of his, the restructuring of his contract – all those things. I do want to apologize for the voice. 
two weeks ago, I went from 39 degrees in Tennessee to literally uh, less than four hours later, I was at 85 degrees in the Caribbean and then came back to Tennessee. And of course, it was back in the 30s again. Right. And then this past week, we got all the way up to 81 degrees. And then I think tomorrow is going to be back in the 30s. So my body, my uh, allergies, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't know what the heck's going on. So if I sound like I'm hitting puberty today, I apologize. <laughs> it's, it is what it is, but we've got water, we got coffee, we're going to get through it. So let's just jump right into the show. We're going to start off with a video from Packers.com, and this is one-on-one uh, -on -one Larry McCarron, the GOAT. I love this dude. Love Larry McCarron. Rock is just awesome at what he does, the passion he has for the Packers. The only thing that bothers me is watching that pinky dangle off his hand. Uh, man, that's that's tough to see sometimes. But he sits down one-on-one -on -one here with Brian Gutekunst, and nobody better to do it than Larry McCarron. But let's see what they had to say. Hey, everybody. Brian Gutekunst joins us from the NFL Combine. And, Brian, the signs all over the place say, next is here. <laughs> How are the Packers positioned for next? Yeah, we're, we're excited. Obviously, this is a big, big period of time for us. The Combine is very, very important for us. So uh, we just got out of draft meetings. Obviously, we've had free agency meetings. So... As we go through this and, and gather this information here this week, it really starts to allow us to make the decisions that we need to make. Aaron Rodgers remains in the headlines, and from what you said so far, everything concerning Aaron is on the table. He's going through his process, and we respect that. Um, we have not had a chance to really have the kind of conversations we need to have before we move forward. So we're hopeful to have those soon, and, and then we'll, we'll make those decisions. But, um, you know, he does have a process that he takes some time in, and, and that's where he's at right now. Something that's also clear from what you've said at the Combine so far, Jordan Love is ready. Yeah, I think I think the one thing that I think this, this year showed us is he needs to play. That's his next step kind of like in his progression. All quarterbacks and players in general, you know, get to a point where that's the next step and that's where he's at. And uh, he's really worked hard and it's a credit to him uh, how he's progressed over this the last couple of years. Let's get back to what you're here for, the Combine. How does this particular draft class match up for the needs you anticipate? Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's we're early in the process. Um, there's a number of players that would really fit kind of our profile. And uh, so I think it's this will be a good draft to, to help the Green Bay Packers. Position-wise, where might it be strong or not so strong? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the tight end class looks like a little deeper than maybe it has been in the past. It just seems to be like a deeper class than, than it has been. Uh, at the edge rusher position, you know, along with corner, I think uh, um, we've seen more numbers maybe than we have um, all the time. If what I'm reading is accurate, you suddenly have some salary cap room. Is that the case? I don't know if Russ Ball would like me to say we have much room. Um, I would say we've gotten under the salary cap and, and we're working towards, you know, kind of the things we need to do to make sure that if there are opportunities out there in free agency um, moving forward that we can, we can capitalize on them. Now, you have had great success signing the not-so-famous free agents. I'm thinking of Keyshawn Nixon, Devondre Campbell. What's the key to that success? You know what, I give a lot of credit to, to uh, Richmond Williams, John Wojciechowski, our pro scouting staff, they do a great job. Um, we have a process we believe in very much, and I think the, the key to that is just is working that process each and every day and, and understanding the opportunities that um, present themselves. You know, it's, it can be at any time, and um, sometimes you're ready to make that opportunity work for you, sometimes you're not. Um, but it's got to be a process each and every day, and those, those guys do a great job at it. I want to ask you about a couple of parts of your current team. 
One big part was Sean Gary, how is his progress health-wise? Yeah, all the reports are really good. Obviously, when he left here, we thought he was doing a great job, and, and uh, we have a lot of confidence in people he's working with. You know, Rashawn is a unique individual in the fact of how hard he works, and, and that uh, that is not something that we, um, we worry about too much. Also want to ask you about the secondary, because you've got some free agents at safety. You have some position flexibility with Rasul Douglas, Darnell Savage. How do you see that settling in when the time comes? Yeah, I love the versatility of those guys and their ability to do different things. Uh, the goal will be at the end of it to have the best five guys out there. You know, it's really a nickel, you know, league, nickel defense league. And um, whether you know who plays slot, who plays in you know safety, um, I think will really be determined through camp and, and how things with the new whatever new additions we might make. But I think the goal is to have the best five. And those two particular guys you mentioned have enough flexibility to do a number of things, and that's that's helpful. Brian, when it's all said and done, and you wind up drafting a class this year that's as good as the class you drafted last year, it's a pretty darn good class, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it certainly would be. I thought the guys that we, we took last year really fit into the team well. I, thought, I lo love the way they worked and capitalized on the opportunities that they had. And, learn from the mistakes that they made. Um, so it was a good group, and I, I'm really excited for their growth into year two. Um, but if we could follow that up with a similar class, I think we'd all be happy. Brian, thanks for the time, and have a great week. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it. All right, good stuff, man. Like I said, Larry McCarron is always just straight to the point. That's what I like about him. Um, he just – he never beats around the bush. And, you know, we know he works for Packers – for the Packers, right, and Packers.com. Um so it's always going to be team friendly. You know, he's not going to go in there and try to, uh, you know, annihilate a GM or a player and, and you know, try to embarrass them or anything like that. So some would look at it like, oh, it's always sugar-coated. I don't think it's that case at all. Like, you know, people get so caught up in this, it's okay to talk down to people on social media and, and things that you wouldn't say to people, you know, people's face on the street, right? And uh, I feel like you should conduct business on social media interviews, things like that, just like you would as if you were outside of the workplace and, and the fisticuffs may come out, right? That's just the way I see it. Um, same thing in the car. It cracks me up. Here we are on a rant already, but I'm just going to finish. <laughs> you know, you're in a car, right? It's amazing how brave people are in their car, honking the horn, riding people's bumpers, things like that, right? Listen, don't get me wrong. I can't stand for people to go under the speed limit either, right? But every time I get close to that bumper, this is what goes through my mind. Would I walk on somebody's heels on the sidewalk? No, you wouldn't, right? You know, cutting people off, locking up the brakes, right? Walking into a gas station. Would you just jump in front of somebody, put your arm on them, push them back, and go in the door before them? No, you wouldn't. Because people feel protected behind that steering wheel, right? They feel, feel protected behind those door locks. So kind of look at social media the same way. And, and what I'm getting at is, you know, no, it's not that Larry McCarron's being a, you know, uh, a rump kisser or whatever, right? He's very respectful in the questions he asks, and he does it in a very uh, business-like approach. You know, he's very team-friendly. To me, he's a throwback. He's a throwback to how the reporters were back in the day when the Packers were trying to survive. And we've talked about history segments like that, where um, the Green Bay Press-Gazette was more of a – um, more of a hop man for the Packers than actually reporting on what was good and what was bad, right? And I'm not saying it should go all the way back to that. It was something that was very, very necessary for the Packers to survive during those down years, okay? Um, but I think 
I would rather hear someone report on the positives and point out the negatives rather than report on the negatives and barely point out the positives. That makes sense. So that's why I like Larry McCarron. But let's just talk about some of the things they just hit on real, real quick. Just some notes that I jotted down. Anytime the general manager speaks, me, you know, I get into the X's and O's and I get into the uh, the just the management aspect as well. So anytime something happens, when I'm watching a game, I'm taking notes. When a general manager is talking about a topic or whatever that I'm interested in, I take notes. So here's what I came away with. Uh, first of all, they're gathering info, right? When he talked about gathering info, um, you know, at the combine, uh, that's all it is. It's it's the final information to complete your board. Now, some people would argue and say, no, the board's already complete, and they're just confirming what they've seen on tape with the combine numbers. I think that's silly to suggest, although – that's what I recommend. I lean on the tape. I lean on how did they play on the field rather than the measurables, okay? You know, James Harrison would not meet um, the Packers' metrics as far as an edge rusher. And look how good James Harrison was in Pittsburgh as an edge rusher, right? Because he wasn't tall enough. He wasn't uh, – he didn't have the reach. He didn't have all these things that these quote-unquote measurables, right? So I think you can – I think there's pros and cons to both. But to to pretend like it doesn't exist is just silly. OK, um, now, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of the draft. Once you gather that information, that's what they're doing. It's not a coincidence that the NFL schedules the combine before free agency. Why? You can get that final information, complete your board. And now you see the strengths and weaknesses of this current draft class. And that determines how aggressive you will be or how, you know, inaggressive. I don't even know if that's a word. Probably not. You know me. Redneck lingo. Um that's going to determine what you do in free agency and how aggressive you are, right, based off of the strength of the draft class. So all this is falling into place now as they're compiling this information. Another thing he touched on was Jordan Love. There was no hesitation, guys. Now, Jordan Love's ready. The next step is for playing time. We, we've got to the point now where we've evaluated, evaluated everything we possibly can, and we believe he's a starter. He didn't say this, but I'm kind of paraphrasing him, you know, past comments. They believe he's a starting quarterback. Now, how will he react in game time situations? It, he could react in a way that he's the next uh, – man, I, I really hesitate to say it, but I'm going to say it because people – we were hesitant to say it about Aaron Rodgers coming in after Brett Favre, right, and look, it happened, right? But when he gets on the field, will he be at that Aaron Rodgers level or will he drift back to just an average starting quarterback in the NFL? Or will he fall back to where he's not even a starting caliber quarterback? I don't believe that. I hope that's not the case. I want the Packers to move forward with Jordan Love as soon as Aaron retires or that both the team and Aaron agree to part ways, you know, a mutual understanding there. And I want Jordan Love to be the next big thing. Um, but it, to me, it seems like Goody thinks he's the real deal, which is really exciting. Now, they talked about the tight end draft class a little bit, right? They said the tight end class is deep, the edge class is deep, and the cornerback class is deep. OK, those are the three positions that Goody mentioned unwarranted. Right. Or yeah, unsolicited, I guess you could say unprovoked. I'm trying to think of how many words I can misuse in this one podcast here um, while sounding like a 13 year old with my voice changing. Um, so if the tight end class is deep, the edge class is deep and the corner class is deep. Couple that could mean a, a couple of different things. Right. If the tight end class is deep. In this draft, then that means that may affect the tight end market in free agency. We'll talk about that here in a minute. 
if the edge def- edge defender class is deep, and we know that's a tier one position, more of those fly off the board early than that one safety that we feel like is the top safety in the draft in Brian Branch, we being me, my, my personal opinion, I'm not speaking for Jake or Brian or anyone else. Um, that's how I see it. I think Brian Branch is hands down the best safety in the class. So if a bunch of edge defenders fly off the board early and a couple of tight ends fly off the board early, maybe Brian Branch is sitting there for the Packers to take at 15 and it lines up with their board, if indeed it does, then you take him there and, bam, you've got your starting free safety, right? Now, that's if Goody's assessment matches everyone else's across the league, which we know it won't match everyone's, but he's definitely got a better grab on uh, the amount of talent and level of talent in this draft than, than an idiot like me does, right? And then he said corner is heavy. What does that mean? If, if, if it's a deep cornerback draft, then maybe we take a corner and slide Russell, Doug- Russell Douglas to safety. That may be an option, right? Um, I don't put I don't I don't put anything out of the realm of possibility right now because you know he talked about this. He talked about you know the DBs. Um, the goal is to put the best best five on the field, and they they feel like they have flexibility. Now, I somewhat disagree with that. Um, I think right now Savage needs to be the slot. I think your boundary corners need to be Russell Douglas and Jair Alexander. So who's going to play safety? We have zero safeties on the roster right now if that's the case as far as starting caliber, quote-unquote starting caliber, or even borderline starting caliber. So that becomes a huge need if you go with that rotation, right? So maybe you sign one in free agency and or you draft one, right, Um, or a couple. Who knows? But I do feel like the safety class is one of the weaker positions in this draft personally, at least – on the top end where you can go, that's a starting caliber safety. And you know how it is. If you've got a bunch, if you've got several safeties bunched up in the with second and third uh, round, I don't want to say grades, but tiers, then, you know, maybe you take a couple swings and you land one, right? Like a Christian Watson. You know, you take him early in the second round, and some would suggest that he's better than some of the wide receivers that were taken in the first round, right? So um, the other thing you talked about is our pro scouting staff. This is – uh, fascinating to me this whole topic because what a lot of fans don't understand and and I've been trying to dig in a little deeper and understand how front offices work is you've got a pro scouting staff right slash process um, what does that mean it means you know he said do they fit our profile right so you've got your scouting staff that's covering the NFL draft all the college players constantly there's already scouts that are on the road getting a jump start on meeting with prospects for next year's draft and getting a little jump on that and getting that information compiled, which is wild, right? Now, the majority of them were coming back to 1265 Lombardi, passing information along. Everybody's building their boards. They're putting their red stars on the board, all those things. And let me explain red star. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, all both former scouts. I think Bucky actually played in the league. Daniel Jeremiah was a quarterback at Appy State, if I remember correctly, in college. They're both former pro scouts. They talked about, quote-unquote, red star athletes. What do they mean by that is, and each organization may call it something different, but Daniel Jeremiah said that when they were compiling all their information um, for the draft, the one of the last things that they did, one of the final things they did was each scout, each person in, in the whole building, uh, from what I understand, on the scouting staff, not just scouts, but also people that, that worked right there hand-in-hand with compiling the information, they said, go put your red star on the board. Which player in this draft is your red star player? Meaning, of all the players in this entire draft, who intrigues you the most? It may be physical upside. It may be what you've seen on tape. It may be he's an outstanding young man, 
uh, you know, maybe not as as good of a football player, but his leadership's going to add a lot to the locker room, whatever it may be. But you get a few minutes to go up there, put your red star on a player, and explain why he's your red star player, right? Um, all those things happen, okay, when you talk about profiling players. Now, with the pro scouting staff, what they do is they're scouting players across the NFL, right? And you're constantly compiling this information, probably more so players that are available on the market or set to hit the market. So what do they do? It's it's a similar process. They go in and they say which players fit our profile, our physical profile, right? Size, you know, height, weight, reach, measurables, all those things, okay? And then also they look at the draft grade they had on them coming in. And you compile those two things, and that's going to give you your NFL grade, along with some other key details, I'm sure, off the field issues, leadership skills, things like that. And that's what's going to kind of go in and determine, okay, um, here is how we rank the current players available or who will be available next year or whenever, right? So when someone hits the market, they go and look at that profile and go, okay, bang, yeah, this guy this guy is a, a green dotter. This is a guy that's a good fit for us, right? Any other thing, Brian Gutekunst talked John real quick was just Rashawn Gary. They said they are not worried at all. If you know Rashawn Gary, you know uh, what kind of worker he is and the attitude he brings to the table. And he's going to be ready to go um, as soon as he can be ready to go. I'm still hoping midseason he'll start on the pup. Maybe he can be activated by like week seven, week week eight. Um, who knows, though, man? He may surprise us and, and – come out of camp and be ready. I wouldn't be surprised with Rashawn Gary, but we've always also got to be realistic. And especially I'm a little gun shy now when it comes to David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins and what happened there, because we were just, Oh, it's just an ACL. No big deal. You've seen how big of an issue that can be, but um, you are talking about players that are carrying a little more weight than Rashawn Gary. But then you also got to think of the torque that he puts on his joints, his knees coming off that edge. So, all right, with that being said, let's move on to the first text message. This comes in from our buddy Goose from Canada. Um, Goose is one of my favorite people, man. He's just non-biased in every opinion. Any Anytime he talks, I listen, because every time that he gives an opinion, you know it's what he thinks is best for the Packers, not what will fit his opinion from the past or a certain narrative or, you know, vendetta he might have. Goose is just a, a genuine person I absolutely love. Uh, I've learned so much from him as a Packer fan. But Goose says – Starts it off right. Roadhouse. <laughs> Who are some realistic floor-setting free agents the Packers could pick up so they can fill the team? I know we need two safeties and at least one tight end. Goot will absolutely make sure we have at least a floor before the draft. Um, and, you know, we had a little bit of exchange back and forth. We won't get into that. But um, not a heated exchange. It was friendly. Calm down. So here's the thing. When you look at, quote-unquote, floor players, that could be anybody, right? But – Here's the the quick answer, and it's so boring, Goose, but it's our own players, right? Um, you know, when you look at tight end and free agents and safeties, right? Not free agents, tight ends and safeties. Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Tyler Davis, players like this, right? Now, why would you take them over a free agent? First of all, it depends on how they grade out. What is that NFL fro NFL profile, NFL scouting profile, that grade that they have on these free agents that are set to hit the market in those lower tiers? And then if it's a push, right, and they're going to warrant just as much or less than mo less money than the guys that you already have on your roster, it's more valuable to have people that are familiar with your quarterbacks, whether it's Aaron Rodgers during the regular season or Jordan Love in the offseason, 
right? Also, um, is it, you know, they already understand the scheme. They understand the terminology. They understand every aspect of it. Hell, they understand how the facilities laid out and things that you don't have to get accustomed to when you go to a new team. And the cold weather in Green Bay, getting adjusted to that and moving your family up there and the stress it might put on a family. These are things that are real. Some people are rolling their eyes right now because all they do is pop in Madden football and their PlayStation or Xbox and go, oh, look, I put together a better roster than Goody. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love that too. We have a lot of fun playing with buddies and franchise and all that stuff uh, on Madden. But these are real-life people in real-life situations. That's going to come into play when people change cities, change towns, uh, change teams, right? So the quick answer to that, Goose, in my opinion, is our own. You know, at tight end, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Tyler Davis. Those are probably going to be the most popular pick for the Packers as far as bottom tier floor building the basement of the of the uh, team out, which I completely agree with you. That's the way to go, right? At safety, you got Adrian Amos and Rudy Ford hitting the market, right? So let's do this. Let's look at the draft real quick, okay? Or not the draft, I'm sorry, the, the free agents. Let's look at that real quick. At the tight end position, this is according to PFF, the top tight end in this year's free agency is Dalton Schultz. He's ranked 20th amongst free agents, though. Keep that in mind. There are 19 other players in free agency that PFF thinks is a better football player than Dalton Schultz, okay? Um, when you look at his grades, uh, 2022 grades, 68.3. Some of you are going, oh, that's bad. Do you remember what our tight end grades were? <laughs> that's quite a bit better than what we had, right? Um, so the PFF war grade is number nine, uh, the number nine tight end there. Now, last year he was a 78.2, but this year um, 68.3. Let's go down to uh, the second free agent tight end is Evan Ingram. He's 45th amongst free agents, Okay. And his grade was 67.6. Mike Gusecki, 59. And his grade was 60.5. He's ranked 59th. Um, Hayden Hurts, 75th. His grade was 64.5. Austin Hooper, 81st. His grade was 68.8. And then the last one here of the top 100 free agents is Foster Moreau, ranked 99th. His grade was 61.1. Why do I mention that? These are the guys that PFF considers to be the top candidates to sign in free agency. None of those grades wowed you this year, right? So what are they expected to get contract-wise? Dalton Schultz, $14.5 million average per year. Would you sign Dalton Schultz for $14.5 million? Because I know I wouldn't. Evan Ingram, $12.7 million per year. Nope. Mike Gusecki, $13 million per year with a 60.5 PFF grade. Not doing it. Hayden Hurst, $9.5 million average per year. That's still too high for me, right? Austin Hooper, $8.5 million, still too high. Foster Moreau, the very very last one, the 99th ranked uh, free agent, $9 million per year. Now, you guys remember when I was talking in the playoffs about how important tight end is, right? And we keep overlooking it. We keep looking past it. Dalton Schultz, um, on the Cowboys, playoff team. Evan Ingram on the Jacksonville Jaguars, playoff team. Mike Gusecki, Miami Dolphins, playoff team. Hayden Hurst, Bengals, playoff team. Austin Hooper with the Titans, not a playoff team. And then the Raiders, Foster Moreau, not a playoff team. So the top four tight ends in free agency 
were on playoff teams. That's not a coincidence. And these aren't great gang base, gang buster tight ends. But what I was pointing out when we were talking about this during the playoffs is that's the difference a tight end can make. We keep overlooking this as if tight end is this just position. Oh, don't worry about it. Get one later in the draft. Who cares? The teams who have great tight ends or at least solid to good tight ends are the teams that are succeeding on offense. It's huge in the running game, especially if it's a tight end that can play all three positions. They can play attached to the offensive line. They can play flex, and they can play boundary, right? None of these guys really grab me as that. I mean, I guess they all could, but they're not great at all three. We've got two tight ends in this draft coming up that people are saying are great at all three of those positions. Michael Mayer is a better in-line tight end, but he can play all three. And then you've got um, Dalton Kincaid, who people are saying is a better flex tight end. So that's the difference. But I've got them in the same tier in the draft. I've got Dalton Kincaid slightly higher than Michael Mayer. But if you're going to run 21 personnel and attach that tight end 90% of the time, not with the 21 personnel, but having an attached tight end, Michael Mayer is your guy, right? If you're going to run a West Coast spread type offense, a lot of 11 personnel, 10 personnel, where you're going to flex the Y out, then, yeah, probably King K would be the one you would want to go with. But both tight ends can play both positions. What I'm getting at is, in my opinion, anybody can be a bust, don't get me wrong. But in my opinion, those two tight ends I mentioned are better than all of these top free agents. We know the ceiling's higher, but I think right now they could go in and play just as just as well or better than those 68.3, 67.6, 60.5, 64.5, 68.8, 61.1 PFF grades. All right, so now what does that – how does that come into play, Goose? Um, will one of these top free agents market go cold? Will the tight end or the safety position market go cold? What's going to determine whether it goes cold? Just like anything else in, in the business world and in the game of life, it's supply and demand is what drives the cost of a product, good, or service, right? So supply and demand, what did we learn? What have we learned so far? Based off my information I've compiled, based off what Brian Gudikin said, based off what Jake Shavink said, uh, other people across the board, they said this is a good tight end draft. Right. This is a tight end heavy draft. Heck, Jake was mentioning the tight end from Georgia, Darnell Washington, that I hadn't really looked at much. He had mentioned several other players. So when you look at it like that, if it's a tight end heavy draft, that equals a cold free agent market for these tight ends here. These teams have already compiled the information. If they look on their board and they go, man, we've got four or five tight ends that we feel like can contribute just as much or more than these top free agent tight ends. Let's wait and see if one falls to us in the draft. The longer they wait, the market value goes down, just like with a house or any other business product, right? If it sits on the market for an extended period of time, you know what date it hit the market. The value is going to drop every day it's on the market. You may see that at the tight end position, seeing that this is a tight end heavy draft. So if it goes cold, who knows? Dalton Schultz, Evan Ingram, Mike Gusecki, maybe their uh, projected contract, Let's say Dalton Schultz's $14 million falls to 10. Evan Ingram goes from 12 to 8. Gasecki's goes from 13 to 9. You know, let's say Hayden Hurst go from 9 to 5 to 6, right? Would you sign Hayden Hurst for $6 million per year? I personally believe Hayden Hurst would be an upgrade from the tight ends we had on the roster last year, right? 
just just the eye test, and I haven't compared the tapes side by side, but when I seen the things he was doing for Cincinnati in both the run game and the pass game, I didn't feel like Tunyon could do that this year. Now, maybe it was the knee, right? And maybe Tunyon will be healthy, which kind of goes back to my original point, Goose, that kind of feels like our own tight ends are the ones that are going to be on the radar, simply because if it's a push across the board for these low-level talent, you know, isn't it funny? We were sitting here going, man, they need to re-sign one of these tight ends. Or we need to we need to do something about a tight end position early. But now as we get into the free agency, this is playing right into the Packers' hands to sign one, two, maybe all three of those guys back because the market might be cold. Right. And that to me is kind of how it seems like it's playing out. So the safety position now, that's a different ball game. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's look at the safety position. Uh, the top rated safety free agent is Jesse Bates III. He's the fourth best prospect according to PFF. Fourth. Okay. Next is Jordan Poyer, Poyer at 19. Then Chauncey Gardner-Johnson at 25, Von Bell at 46, Jimmy Ward at 48. See what I'm saying? Taylor Rapp, 61, Julian Love, 62, uh, Juan Thornhill, 67, Donovan Wilson, 72, Adrian Amos, 79, Rodney McLe- uh, McLeod 
is uh, 93rd, and then Devin McCourty, 95th, Marcus Epps, 96th, Deron Harmon, 97th. So you've got way, way more options there at the safety position, right, than the tight end position when you look at ranks. I mean, you've got three in the top 25 overall free agents. And, again, at tight end, what do we, what do we see at tight end? We had one in the top 25. So what's that suggest? The safety market is a little oversaturated, right? So as it gets hot, as that market heats up, think of it this way. The general managers are coming out of the combine, and they've got their information on safeties. What are we seeing with the safety position? not saying I'm correct, but my assessment is, based off the information I've compiled, that this is a weak safety class on the top end. So what's that mean? If these guys build their board and they go, man, yeah, we've only got two or three we really like in there, we're either going to have to overpay in draft compensation to trade up or take them higher than we want to to ensure that we get one of these safeties or we dip into free agency. So I think the safety market might get hot really, really quick in free agency. So that's kind of how I see that unfolding. So a weak safety draft equals a hot safety market in free agency, a uh, hot tight end draft class equals a cold market in tight end. So that's kind of how I see that playing out. With that being said, according to PFF, let's assume PFF is the tell-all end-all and they've got it right, and this is how GMs see these these, uh, safeties graded out. That means one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine safeties are ranked higher than Adrian Amos. Adrian Amos is 29 years old, okay? Above him, a 28-year-old, 27-year-old, 24-year-old in Julian Love. Julian Love is one of my favorite players in free agency this year. I've always felt like Julian Love is a little underrated. I wouldn't mind to see the Packers make a run at him. We'll talk about uh, contract uh, you know, costs here in a second. Taylor Rapp, 25 years old. Jimmy Ward's 31 years old, but playing at a pretty good level. They're 80.6 PFF grade last year. Von Bell, 28.2, 25.1 for uh, – Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jordan Poyer is 31 years old, but graded really, really high. You know, his PFF grade had been solid up to this past year, dipped a little bit, 65.7. And then Jesse Bates, of course, he peaked in 2020 at 90.1 last, or 2022 was 67.8. And in 2022, his grade was 71.9. He's only 26 years old. The point I'm making is, you know, Adrian Amos has got nine other safeties graded higher than him, and he's one of the oldest. His projected contract, guys, is $5.5 million per year. So if the market's going to be hot, let's stick to that $5.5 and say that's good assessment, right? Let's say that's a good assessment. Is it worth it to bring Adrian Amos back for less money than Donovan Wilson, Juan Thornhill, Julian Love, Taylor Rapp, all these other guys? Me personally, I see safety as a Tier 2 position. So with safety being a Tier 2 position, it's pretty far up there on the priority list. I wouldn't mind to spend money on the safety position. So let's say you do go in and you've got $20 million to spend. you got $20 million in flexibility on the cap this year. I'm not saying it's there right now. I can't remember. the. I've heard some people say we're at $13 million under the cap right now. I've heard some people say we're at $17 million. Again, that $5 million buffer there, I could care less which one is right. But you could get to $20 million real quick with David Bakhtiari's contract being adjusted. So if you got your pick of the litter here and you really want to go break the bank, I don't think Jesse Bates is as good as people think he is. He's not worth $15 million a year for me. 
Jordan Poyer, if you got him for two years and they're suggesting 11 million guaranteed, uh, but eight and a half average per year, then you could you could cut ties with him after one year if the contract structured right at eight and a half million. I would be okay with that with him anchoring that safety position, although he is 31 years old. He's not a long-term answer, but that might be a quick patch up there for a decent price. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson at $11.5 million. Um, that's a little high for me, although he is 25 years old. You could go sign him to a four-year deal and that be your safety, uh, your safety cog there for the next four years or at least three years, depending on how the structure of the contract is. That could be a potential there. Right. Von Bell, seven point three million dollars. He's twenty eight years old. Right. His PFF grade uh, the last three years, 71, 72 and sixty nine. So he's been pretty steady there. When you talk about low floor player goose, I know you're talking about kind of building the foundation of the safety and tight end position just to make sure we can fill the roster. But that seems like a pretty safe bet right there. If he's if he's coming in at seven point three million uh, average per year and he's 28 years old, you give him a three-year deal, that wouldn't sound too bad to me. Maybe you can give him a little bit cheaper if you throw a little more guaranteed into it. You know, they're, they're saying $13.2 million guaranteed. Obviously, over three years, it'd be a $21 million contract. What if you – if somebody offers that and you come in and say, we'll give you $15 million guaranteed, that w- he would really consider that rather than knowing that third year I'll probably get cut anyway because I'm going to be over 30 years old. Jimmy Ward, man, he's up there in age. If you could get him for $6 million, and plug and play him for a couple of years, yeah, I'd be about that. Taylor Rapp at 25 years old. I kind of feel like he's been overrated a bit. He peaked last year, so he's hitting the market at the right time. 67.5, 64.5, but last year, 76.2 PFF grade. Um, It's very interesting. I could see the Packers being aggressive at the safety position. Me personally, the one I've got a crush on, and you guys know why, it's because he's a Notre Damer, (laughs) is Julian Love. 24 years old. He came in the draft really young. I feel like he was he was underdrafted. Um, he played for the Giants last year. 55.2, 55.4. Last year he jumped to a 66.7. That's a low floor player. I'm not giving seven million for him, but if the market goes cold and you can get him for three to four million, I wouldn't mind to see uh see him on the roster and give him a shot. But the one that's really sticking out to me, though, guys, the safe bet would be Von Bell. Pretty decent price there at seven million or a little bit cheaper. And if you want to really go in and be real aggressive, um, I, I personally am staying away from Jesse Bates if the market really does warrant $15 million per year just because he's been very uh, inconsistent with the PFF grade. But you might have one or two players here that you could plug and play for a year or two in Jordan Poyer or Jimmy Ward. So Jimmy Ward at $6 million, if he's going to perform in the 80s PFF grade-wise, that fixed your safety position. And um, you can kind of – lean on that flexibility that Goody talked about. So hopefully that answered your question, Goose. That's a little longer winded than I want to go. But, man, when you guys ask great questions like that, it's so much fun because you dig into the information and you find yourself going, wow, I I, I thought we would – when I answered your text, as I'm drawing this out of how I'm going to answer your question, I thought, man, I, I'll be lucky to get three minutes in. And I talked more about it than anything on the pod so far. So thanks so much, Goose. Keep the – uh Keep the great questions coming in, man, for sure. Now, let's move on to Kenny Clark's restructure. And um, let's uh let's kind of let's kind of dip into it a little bit deeper than we did before. Rob Domofsky put a tweet out and he said, Kenny Clark's restructure breakdown. Signing bonus 13.8 million, eliminates a two million dollar roster bonus. Um 
2023 base salary is now at 1.6 million, down from 13 million. His roster bonus is up to 550k, and he put in parentheses 34,375 per game active. So, even that roster bonus, we may be able to come out a, a touch cheaper. Nothing crazy. Let's say that Kenny Clark got injured this year. God forbid, right? And and he doesn't. Let's say he gets hurt in preseason, doesn't play the whole year. We save 550k. Right, you can see why Kenny signed this contract because there's not a lot on the line if he gets hurt in terms of a game check and things like that. Right, and any kind of compensation that may come back to the team, depending on the details of the contract. I'm not suggesting every contract is like that. Okay, workout bonus 700k. Here's the cap charge. The cap charge is now 12.9 million. It's down from 23.9 million. All right. So the details are obviously in the tweet there. Right. But what did we say when we talked about contract restructure and what we could get from Kenny Clark's contract? We said I said I'd be happy with seven million. Take a little bit from the roster bonus and a little bit from the base salary, the majority from the base salary and convert that to signing bonus, spread it out over the life of the contract or tack on more voidable years. And that's going to free up seven million dollars. Goody gave us we wanted seven. We being me and a lot of the listeners have responded and they agreed with me. Seven million is what we wanted. Goody gave us eleven. That's exciting. I don't know, man. I I'm getting fired up because I understand how the cap is going to be affected down the road, and it's not as doom and gloom as people say. Every team is doing this. You're seeing you're seeing it all the way across the board, and you've got to you've got to play the game that's on the table. You know, if somebody puts a chessboard out there and you pop out a couple checkers and you try to play checkers instead of chess, like it doesn't work like that. They're going to flip the board on you and tell you to get the heck out of the cafe, right? Or off the ridge, like back home, we used to play checkers camping. But that's, yeah, never mind. So <laughs> redneck checkers in the middle of the woods rather than a uh, a cafe in France playing chess, sipping espresso, right? We're up there drinking, you know, Schaefer Light and, uh, you know, God knows what else. The Beast, Milwaukee Beast, right? We we always called it the Beast because it tasted so bad. Um, yeah, we play checkers in the – up in the woods camping rather than in the uh in the bistros and at the cafes. So um if we wanted if we wanted seven and we got eleven million, I mean that's you're seeing this money start to free up and, and same thing with Bakhtiari, right? With Bakhtiari, um there's gonna be money freed up. And what Goody said there in that interview, remember earlier, is it was real simple. It was, yeah, we're just trying to create his, you know, he laughed about it when McCarron said, man, you got cap space. Now. I don't know how much we got because they're not looking to just go out there and spend every dime. What they're doing is setting themselves up to be in a position where they can make an offer and make sure they're under the cap enough and have another restructure in place. Because that's the thing, too. If they don't spend this money, if they free this money, if this is one of the things that people are really, really overlooking. You know, when you look at Aaron Jones's contract, for example, and I don't have the details pulled up. Three voidable years, like 2.7 million, 2.7 million, I think 1.7 million, if I remember correctly. Let's just assume that's the number, two, two, and one, right? And they freed up this money now so they can make moves if they need to, depending on what Aaron decides, if he decides to come back or he decides to retire, if they decide to part ways and they trade him, they have to absorb a cap penalty, all those things. They're in position to handle that. If they don't use that money, guess what happens, guys? If we finish the season under whatever the cap is, that rolls over to the next year. 
So you don't lose that money. You're just prepared to make splash moves if indeed free agency goes hot or cold the way you expect it and a player falls into place that you can add a quality player to your roster in the same way with the draft. If you want to trade up and you can absorb that contract increase of going from 15 to 10 or, or going from a third-round pick to a second-round pick and it increasing another million or two, right? But if you don't use that cap, it's going to roll over, Right. So that's that's why it's important to understand how the cap works, at least to that extent. And and I'm not perfect. I'm still learning every day. But that's it's it's preventive measures in case the perfect situation falls in your lap. Right. So the other thing that he pointed out was there's a third void a void year that was added to Kenny Clark. Exactly what we just talked about. Exactly what we just talked about. All you're doing is taking the cap penalty that's there. Right. And you're determining where you want to distribute it rather than having to absorb it in one single year. And now you have to let two players walk. You have a bad year. The culture in your locker room is ruined. Now you've got to like if the Packers, if the Packers only won three games last year, then I'd be like, all right, the culture's already ruined. Let's tear it down. That team fought their asses off. They they battled at the end of that season. They did everything they could to get back in this thing, and they showed fight. And that that to me that gave me hope that all right, this this team is going to play for Matt Lafleur. He took he took it on the chin. Quarterback with a broken thumb. Both your uh, tackles injured starting the season. Your best edge rusher, your best defender on the roster goes down with a season-ending uh, you know, injury. Not to mention Christian Watson, who proved to be your best weapon by the end of the year after he developed missed time on the front side. Romeo Dobbs missed time. You were down to so, – I mean, you at one point you're down to your fourth wide receiver on your roster, right? Like, And they still battled back. Matt LaFleur took it on the kisser, right? He took, I mean, he took the best sucker punch anyone could throw, and he picked himself back up. They strung together some wins and almost made the playoffs. That's exciting to me. If this roster stays healthy next year with a couple key additions, I think we can do. I, I think they'll be right back into that anywhere from ten to twelve wins. That's what's amazing to me, and I'm trying not to get heated, but it drives me crazy. The same freaking people that told me I was stupid that I said I could see them winning eleven to twelve games. What are you talking about? They'll win at least 13, at least 12, maybe 14. Those are the same people that the second everything went south, what are they doing? Oh, tear it down. This team's horrible. How did they go from a team that you expected to win 14 games to a team now that it's complete rebuild mode? It's called emotional instability. It's called when things go wrong, hey, we got a little bit of water on the ship here. You know what? Throw the lifeboat out there. Don't even try to bucket it out. The heck with this thing that we've spent so many years building and this culture we've been developing. Let's just just let this thing sink to the bottom of the ocean. We'll go get a different ship. Now, don't get me wrong. It's going to take us probably five to seven years to get another get the money to get another ship and get the leadership in place and fix the culture that we just completely tanked because we wanted a better draft pick for a prospect we don't even know if it's going to pan out. The same people that agree that the draft is a crapshoot and if you hit on 30% of the draft uh, draft class and you're doing kind of average to par, maybe a little above average than the rest of the league, you're willing to tank every bit of culture you've got left to take a shot on a 30% success rate? Come on, man. It's risk management. Like, whew, that's scary to me. So, anyway, want to break that contract down. want to let you guys know kind of how that laid out there. And, uh, again, that came from Rob Domofsky on Twitter. One of my favorite follows, I ain't going to lie. 
Um, I've heard other people say negative things about Rob, this and that. And I, I personally haven't had a negative experience with him. Got to meet him uh, at, at Lambeau very briefly um, this past year. Probably don't even remember saying hi to me, but um, I think he does a good job. I don't agree with all of his takes, but, heck, there's nobody on the face of the earth that I agree with every, all their takes. I don't agree with my wife, all of my wife's takes. We've been together for 23 years. It's like, you, you know, you've got to be willing to uh, at least listen to other people's side, whether you agree with it or not. Now, if you're going to go at them on Twitter and make a snide comment, they're going to do the same thing I'm going to do to anybody that comes to me and, and they're a smart aleck on Twitter. If you come in a disrespectful manner or you try to make just little uh, smart aleck comments under your breath and try to take shots in front of people, dude, you get muted, blocked, or insulted. And when you get insulted, I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to cut you deep. I guarantee you that's that's why some people don't like Rob. But anyway, until he crosses me, I like him. He, he provides a lot of information. Um, all right, let's move on to the next topic, and it's going to be our final topic. This is a text that comes in from a listener, Andy Monday, another one of my uh, favorite uh, favorite interactions, I guess you could say, um, calls into Packernet after dark. Um, just a just a great dude, great Packer fan. Love it. We don't agree on everything, but man, we always have great conversations when we talk. And here is what Andy Monday said. He said, Clayton, I believe that Rogers' greatness includes his avoiding stupid interceptions, which he learned to do to not do after watching Favre. That's one thing, too, man. Um, it, people said, Yeah, you know, Aaron gets to learn behind Brett. It was exciting, but at the same time, it's like, man, do we want him being reckless with the football? <laughs> he was totally the opposite, which is really cool because he got to kind of see how that cost the Packers games, right? How many times did people, you know, they were done with Brett because he just threw, made stupid throws that he shouldn't make because that's the gunslinger in him and it's exciting and this and that. And it's like, man, that the Rams playoff game, oh, my God, what did he throw, six interceptions? five, At least five. I think it might have been six interceptions in one playoff game, right? And people were done with it. So we get Aaron, and what does Aaron do? Like Andy pointed out, it's almost like he watched Brett and was like, I'm not going to play like that. So he plays very conservative. And then what happens? Well, he never takes the shots. Okay, he never takes the shots. This guy over here is yelling in my ear that he's playing hero ball. The other guy's telling me he's got a high completion percentage because he never throws the ball down the field. Like, what? <laughs> and this isn't directed at Andy, obviously. But I'm just – that argument always me up. Man, his, his completion percentage before he broke his thumb was 67%, 2% higher than his career average. Yeah, but Clayton, he never throws the ball down the field. Oh, okay, gotcha. So he, it's funny, he's he's in the top five in the league and passes over 20 yards. Well, what is it over 40? Oh, okay, so you just want him to throw bombs every play. Got it. And then the next guy's going, well, they lost the game because Aaron wanted to play hero ball rather than playing within the system. What? So now, So now he's chucking it too much down the field. The other guy's telling me all he does is throw in a flat. You can't have it both ways. He says, but many fans are unhappy with the throws he doesn't make. There you go, bingo. What things that Aaron doesn't do that you want Jordan Love to do? And that's a tough question, Andy, because, like, that that's where I'm at in the whole Jordan Love saga, right, is people that are saying it's time to go to Jordan Love, it's time to go to Jordan Love. And, and my answer all along has been if you can tell me Jordan Love can play at the same level as Aaron Rodgers, heck yeah, sign me up. It's time to move on. Aaron, thank you for everything you've ever done. I hate that we're cutting bait with you and throwing you away like a piece of trash, but business is business. Just like business was business for you when you signed your new contract, totally get it. If you could tell me that's Jordan, Jordan Love plays at that level, heck yeah, sign me up. 
you know. And I heard people say throughout the year, um, tell me what Aaron did in this game that Jordan Jordan couldn't do on some of Aaron's worst games with a broken thumb. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Of course, of course, Jordan Love could have made that, that quick slant pass. I mean, that's what he did. The shallow cross, crosser, climb, slant, whatever you want to call it, to uh, Christian Watson, where Christian Watson literally just used his speed in every inch laterally of the field to take it to the house, right? And everybody acted like Jordan Love. It was like Jordan Love had made the, the play of the century. And I'm like, I'm happy with it, man. Play action pass, turned his back to the line of scrimmage, knew where his read was, bang, hit it in there. They were playing soft. They were in somewhat of preventive type defense. Why? Because they had quite a bit of a lead, right? There's a lot of factors that come into play. And that's not the dog Jordan Love, but it's like, what did Jordan Love do that Aaron Rodgers couldn't do? Oh, well, you can't ask that question because Jordan Love's way cheaper, okay? He's not going to be cheaper if he's playing at Aaron Rodgers' level like you're saying. So what are we talking about here, <laughs> right? Um, so to answer your question, man, I don't have an answer, Andy. And when you hear this, text me and tell me your answer, man. I should have asked you on the thread here and got, got a little bit of response there. But what what can Jordan Love do? The only thing that comes to mind will be we'll do it in the big games. Okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. If Jordan Love can do what Aaron Rodgers has done, right, and then on top of that play even better in the big games against better talent, Heck yeah, I'll take it. Hopefully that's what he can do. That's the only thing he can do, Andy, that's going to be better than Aaron Rodgers. There's nobody in the history of the game that has played better statistically than Aaron Rodgers. Like Zach Cruz put a tweet out. Here it is right here. Aaron Rodgers over the last four years with Matt LaFleur. This is just from 2019 to 22, guys. He learned a new system starting in 2019. Now, what's crazy is, that was a hybrid version of the offense. We know that. Aaron confirmed that. Matt LaFleur confirmed that. In 2019, it was, we're going to keep some of McCarthy's offense because the majority of the personnel here are familiar with it, and we're going to start implementing Matt's offense, right? So it's going to be a hybrid version. And then in 2020, of course, they uh, lean a little more in to Matt LaFleur's offense. In 2021, they lean a little more in to Matt LaFleur's offense. In 2022, they lean a little more in. And what happens? 2022, the league finally caught up with it. It's not Matt LaFleur's fault. It's not Aaron Rodgers' fault. It's the cyclical nature of the NFL is what happened in 2022. Oh, along with a broken thumb, two banged-up tackles, uh, a receiving class that led to league in drops, a receiving class that Kurt Warner pointed out over and over and over on video, pointing to it with a stick going, why is this receiver on the ground? People falling down and just underperforming at the wide receiver position. They don't want to look at that, though. I got it. But here's what Zach Cruz's uh, tweet says. Aaron Rodgers has had 65 starts. This is from 2019 to 2022. 65 starts, 137 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. 137 touchdowns to 25 interceptions. And last year he played with a broken freaking thumb. Quarterback rating, one or passer rating, 104.7. Two MVPs, three NFC North titles, 47 and 18 is the regular season record. Postseason record, two and three. I'm going quiet for a reason here. Can Jordan Love perform at that level? If you had to put 
every bit of money that you have in your savings account, in your checking account, the whole farm, right? And you had to say yes or no, Jordan Love can do what, what Aaron Rodgers has done over, you know, from 2019 to 2022. Would you take that bet? I know I wouldn't. And that's not to say Jordan Love can't do that. But the odds of him being able to perform like that is crazy. Now, let's talk about the two and three postseason record, right? And the throws that he didn't make, right? What do I want Jordan Love to do? And Andy, I know you're not asking me, um, you know, from a cyn- cynical nature. So please, if if I come across a little bit of a smart aleck here, it's not directed at you. I'm going to answer the question with in the back of my mind, all of the comments that's been made on Twitter, all of the people coming at me saying that Aaron Rodgers is washed up, all of me that's saying he's the one holding this team back. It's Aaron Rodgers' fault, right? It's funny on the other side, people also act like Aaron Rodgers does nothing wrong. They won't even look at the Detroit game, right, which I broke down extensively and was like, these are mental mistakes by Aaron Rodgers. Now, does the thumb come into play knowing he might not be able to make that tough throw? Is he is he wanting to come out and just – try really hard to blow the lines out, and that's why he's throwing in those goal line situations. Now, there was a couple of times he goes to the sideline in games throughout the season where he's cussing at Matt LaFleur and always made the joke that he, I guess he's cussing Matt LaFleur out because he didn't like his own play call because according to these same people, Matt LaFleur isn't – this isn't Matt LaFleur's offense. This is Aaron Rodgers' offense. But he's cussing Matt out for the play call that was called in. What the heck? Just on the, on the Aubrey uh, podcast the other day where Aaron was talking about a play that they designed during the week. He said, I came up with an idea during the week. He did. He drew this play up during the week and presented it to Matt like, hey, I'm seeing this on film. They're showing this with the safety look. If they come out in this look, what if we run a dig and, 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 and this quick hitter you know, on the backside, whatever the details were, right? And what if we try that? And then in the game, Matt comes to him and said, hey, hey Aaron, that play you talked about, what do you think about it right here? And Aaron went, yeah, dude, that sounds good. And it worked. It was against the Cowboys, right? So Matt's making the final calls. Aaron has freedom at the line, of course, with check, you know, checking in and out of cam plays, um, you know, hand signals, the, the infamous hand signals, all those things. But anyway, back to Andy Monday's question. Again, this isn't directed towards you, Andy. I'm going to answer the question with everything that's been sent to me tweet-wise and tagged and DMs telling me, that I'm a piece of inbred crap, all those things. This is what I want Jordan Love to do. And I put a list together. Because if Jordan Love can do everything that Aaron did in that column I just said, 137 touchdowns, 25 interceptions, 104.7 passer rating, two MVPs, three NFC North titles in four years, 47 and 18 regular season record and a two and three postseason record, here's what I want Jordan Love to do. I want him to run out there in Arizona and tackle Larry Fitzgerald while he's literally breaking six tackles and running away from our defense in a game where we 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 literally scored over you know over forty points if I remember correctly and then didn't get a face mask call on Aaron Rodgers in in overtime which led to a sack fumble slash interception return for a touchdown to end the season. I want Jordan Love to strap up on defense and go out there and tackle Larry Fitzgerald. I want Jordan Love to go out on defense and play contain against Colin Kaepernick so he don't run wild on us in the playoffs, okay? I want Jordan Love to hop over to uh, to the hands team and just shove Bostic out of the way so Jordy can recover that onside kick. I want Jordan Love to change shoulder pads 
and get in there and play middle linebacker and stop the 49ers running attack when they have Mostert run wild on us in the playoffs of 2019. I want, I want to throw him in there on PP, too, while we're at it. Let's put Jordan Love in on PP, personal protector, and make sure that punt don't get blocked against the Niners last year, which got returned for a touchdown for the game winning, basically the the uh, the the touchdown that put them in position to kick the game winning field goal more or less. Because if that punt don't get blocked, we win that game, right? I want to throw him in there on personal protector. I want to put him. Uh, I want him to put on his trainer's polo, right? Put on his little visor, throw on a trainer polo, have a water bottle dangling from a keychain there from his from his belt loop. And I want him to keep Bach in against the 49ers. Do some kind of magic little, I don't know, whatever he's got to do on box knee and make sure that he doesn't go out in that playoff game against the 49ers and uh and they run wild on us, getting pressure on Aaron. You know, I, I'll tell you something else I want him to do. Also want him to uh jump uh pull pull Kevin King off the field. And I want Jordan Love to play corner and make sure that he doesn't get beat right before halftime, losing the middle eight and essentially that game against the Buccaneers a couple years ago in the playoffs, right? And just make sure nobody gets behind him so they score that touchdown right before halftime. I want Jordan Love to hop out there and do that too. Getting the theme here. And, again, this isn't directed at Andy. This is just – Thinking of all the comments that people say, you know, send at me, and it's just, it's, it's like, well, Aaron can't win the big game. These are all game deciding factors in the biggest playoff games that Aaron Rodgers has ever played in, most of which he overperformed. And I get the 49ers game, our offense looked horrible, but you know what the offense did? They protected the football and put themselves in a position to win that ball game, right? Now, of course, I want Aaron or I want Jordan. Uh, Jordan Love to throw that crosser to Alan Lazard instead of into double coverage against Tay. Right? Of course I want him to do that. But isn't it funny that we lose that game in the playoffs to the Niners in that perfect, perfect conditions for Packer fans at Lambeau, right? Snowy, field covered, just it was just magical, right? You get a punt block for a touchdown. He had all these things happen throughout the course of that game, right, that that played a role in them losing it. And then the one thing that the Aaron Rodgers haters want to point out is look at him playing hero ball, throwing to Tay in double coverage deep when it worked all year long leaning on Tay, right? So then Tay leaves and what happens? You've seen what happened. Tay goes to the Raiders. Right, and what happened to the Packers' offense? Broken thumb, two banged-up tackles, and a receiving core that led the league in drops. But again, those Aaron Rodgers haters were mad that he gave arguably the best wide receiver in the game a shot on that deep pass while trying to evade pressure. Again, I want Jordan Love to throw that crosser because that was a first down. But now Tay's gone, which is kind of what they wanted, was I just want him to stop locking in on Tay and play within the scheme, play within the system. They did that last year, and now the goalposts have been moved again. Now we're to the point where, no, he's not running Matt LaFleur's offense. I know Matt LaFleur's calling the plays. I know he's the one who, you know, designed everything, and he's the one radioing the call in to Aaron. But this is not his offense. This is Aaron Rodgers' offense. Got it. All I'm saying is, 
They didn't like him throwing the ball to Tay too much, right? Tay leaves, the offense goes flat for multiple reasons. Be careful what you wish for, right? And when it comes to Jordan Love, and again, 137 touchdowns, 25 interceptions, 104.7 passer rating, two MVPs, three NFC North titles in four years, 47 and 18 regular season record, two and three postseason record. To answer your question, Andy, I don't think there's a darn thing that Jordan Love can do that Aaron Rodgers hasn't already done. So how do we get over the hump? You get over the hump with all three phases of the game being good. Offense, defense, and special teams. That's how you do it. For so long, I disagreed with people when they would say, they're not putting enough talent around Aaron Rodgers. They're not giving him the defense he needs. They're not giving him the run game he needs. They're not giving him the receivers he needs now. I've disagreed with it over and over and over, thinking this team's good enough. But, man, when you look at it, I just read off off the top of my head, just from my memory, eight different scenarios where Aaron Rodgers was playing lots out or at least good enough to win the ball game. And another aspect of – the team let the team down. And you didn't hear Aaron one time say, well, we lost because of this. We lost because of that. But, boy, they'll paint that picture for you. So, I hope Jordan Love comes out and does what we just talked about. Andy, I really do. But, man, I don't know how to answer your question other than if he can magically fix these other issues that cost us playoff losses that now somehow have all fallen on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. Um, If he can't do that, the answer to your question is – He can't do anything. Because if he plays, if Jordan Love plays at that level with those numbers and that kind of that kind of result, then I'm not going to go and say, this is on Jordan Love. He can't win the big game. That's silly. And nor would you or anyone else. No one would look at those numbers and then blame Jordan Love and say he just can't win the big game. You'd be looking at the middle, the 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 middle eight, right? Giving up the big pass against Tampa. You'd be looking at the the missed field goals, the blocked field goals, the blocked punts, all of those things. Wide receiver drops, several drops in that game too that people don't mention. That's the stuff you'd be looking at, and rightfully so. It's a team sport. You've got to be good in all three phases. And over the last nearly two decades, for the most part, we've been really good on offense. And during his prime years, I never thought I'd be saying this, but during his prime years, We put out there mediocre defenses outside of one year, in my opinion. And uh, very, very bad special teams. So I hope we keep this special teams train rolling. Let's let's improve the special teams a little bit more this year. It doesn't have to be dramatically more, but they they did improve pretty significantly last year, in my opinion. That starts with bringing back Keyshawn Nixon. And let's continue to bolster this defense. But the goal should be – Offense good, defense good, special teams good. Not offense great, defense average, special teams horrible. Or not offense good, uh, defense you know above average, special teams bad. Right? And then last year, of course, I think you would kind of say that the offense was bad, right? The defense was average, and the special teams was good. It's just the volatility has got to stop. You've got to have – a solid team in all three phases of the game to put yourself in a position to be successful and win the big one. 
I mean, when you look at who won it this year, Kansas City, I mean, there was nothing about Kansas City's special teams that were horrible, right? It was adequate. Their offense was great, their defense was solid, and their special teams was just good. So that's kind of how I see it, man. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to message us, Andy, dude. It's always always great interacting with you. And by the way, man, I seen what you were talking about last night in the Western Sky. Freaking awesome. I'm uh, I'm into that stuff too, man. I love uh, love checking out, um, you know, stuff when it comes to the stars and just uh, things like that, dude. But appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate your friendship, both you and Goose both. Thank you all for taking the time to message us. We're going to get out of here, guys. Didn't want to end it on a somber note, but at the same time, man, that's the truth best I know it. And I'm always going to tell you, the truth as I see it. It doesn't mean I'm correct. It's my opinion. I try to stay away from my opinion. At least that was the goal when we started the pod, but I'm learning real quick. It's impossible to stay away from your personal opinion when you do a podcast. So um, hopefully that's enough information for you guys for today. We will be back. Let's see. I don't even know what the day is. Today is Thursday. We'll be back with you guys on Saturday. Hope y'all have an awesome Thursday afternoon and a great work day there on Friday. If you're not catching it till then, thank you for uh, making us part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack go. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.